The hardest thing about moving to Richmond just two years ago was saying goodbye to friends. Relationships that Kristen and I had forged over 20 years in one place. Relationships that had weathered life's challenges and changes, child-rearing and mutual struggles and accomplishments. As Dolly Parton likes to say, you can't make old friends. I love that line. Friendship is an all too rare commodity in our world today. Competitiveness and transient society and the the fragmentation of life tend to isolate us and make true friendship difficult to maintain, regardless of what Facebook tells us, right? So it's striking that Jesus here lifts up the language of friendship to describe the relationship he has with his followers. I don't call you servants any longer, but friends. The disciples are asked to see their relationship with him, with the one that they call Lord, in a new light. A relationship of intimacy and reciprocity. Over 20 years ago, I attended a youth leader conference in San Antonio, Texas. And while I don't remember a lot about those several days spent with youth leaders across the country, I do remember something that our keynote speaker said. Martin Marty, the professor of Christian history from the University of Chicago at that time, was speaking and he said, if there's one thing that you can tell young people about Christianity, the most important thing, he suggested, was that Jesus wants to be your friend. He referred us to a little book by Rudolf Schneckenberg entitled, The Friend We Have in Jesus. I still have that book somewhere. It's one of those books I bought just for the title. What a friend. We have a friend in Jesus. Schneckenberg, his premise is that by looking at the relationships that Jesus had during his lifetime with people like John and Peter, Mary and Martha, you begin to see that to really understand Jesus and appreciate him, you must, he must be seen as a friend, a personal friend to everyone. And our text this evening tells us something about what that friendship is like. First, we learn that to be a friend of Jesus means to be loved and to be chosen. This is demonstrated by Jesus' willingness to lay down his life for his friends. He loved them and he was willing to sacrifice for them. And while there is an expectation that we will do the same, there is an initial emphasis that Jesus places on his role in the relationship. He chose his friends. You didn't choose me, he says, I chose you. There's such grace in that. God in Christ takes the initiative. In the master-disciple relationship, that's a major reversal. It's not what's expected. In the Jewish tradition, the student willing to learn the Torah would seek out the teacher that they most wanted to learn from. But not here. The roles are reversed. And Jesus chooses the students. Or in this case, his friends. And that has significant implications. 
First, it means that we don't pick or choose Jesus. Jesus picks and chooses us. That Jesus reaches out to us first. The friendship can't be based on what we need. First and foremost, it's what God needs. And God needs us. God needs to be in relationship with, what, with us. Or God chooses, I should say, to be in relationship with us. This election is not about privilege, but about service and a willingness for us to love in return. We respond to what God has done. We respond by loving in return, as Jesus asks in our text for this evening. What it really implies is that we are going to be willing to bear fruit ourselves, that we, that we will in the end, be willing to participate in what God is doing in the world, that this is part of the relationship, part of the friendship. We're chosen not because we are better than anyone else, but because there is good work to be done and we're the ones to do it. The third thing that's implied by Jesus choosing us and loving us first is that Jesus' persistent choice provides stability when the work becomes too hard. Jesus doesn't give up on us even when we're ready to give up ourselves. When the task of bearing fruit becomes difficult, Jesus reminds us that we didn't choose this, we were chosen for this, and that we're not alone. Our own fears and failures do not shake the electioning hand that sustains, is how the New Testament scholar Charles Cusar puts it. And that should give us courage to get out of bed each morning and continue to participate in the loving work of God in the world. Last weekend, we held a retreat here as part of our Koinonia School of Race and Justice, and we took a close look together at the many characteristics of white supremacy culture And then we began to imagine alternatives to that. What would the antidote look like? One thing that was clear in that encounter or in the expectation that we would do something different is that it's not always easy to know how to do that, how to present an alternative. We don't always know what to say or what to do. And sometimes we're going to get it wrong. We're going to stir things up in a way that makes, makes it a little more messy at the beginning. But still we have to do something if we expect anything to change. One of the participants offered that we need to be encouraged to fail forward, she said. To fail forward. We need to risk getting it wrong in order to eventually get it right. It's like someone reminded me recently, anything worth doing is worth doing poorly. (laughs) For someone who sometimes is adverse to taking risks, I need to remember that. That it's better to do it poorly than to not do it at all. (laughs) Risk failing forward. To be chosen for friendship by Jesus should give us the courage to risk it all. To lay down our lives necessarily while trusting that God has got us. That we are loved no matter what. That even our failures are an opportunity to know grace and forgiveness. How else do we know grace and forgiveness if not through our failures? 
And through that too, we learn and we grow. The second thing this text teaches us about friendship with Jesus is that to be a friend of Jesus is to know what's going on. I have called you friends because I have made known to you everything that I have heard from my Father, Jesus says. Jesus doesn't keep the disciples in the dark. They are made aware of what's about to happen. They are told of his impending arrest, the death that he will suffer, and his resurrection. Now, they may not fully understand it, but they are let in on what's going on. They become a part of the story with Jesus. We, too, are let in on that same story and are given the chance to be caught up in it with Jesus. His story becomes our story, and that's of critical importance. It's what grounds us and centers us and provides a perspective for our work that's different than the perspective of the world. It's what enables us to focus on healing and pray every day for the coming of God's kingdom here in metropolitan Richmond as it is in heaven. We believe it's what God wants and it's what God is working toward. Friendship with Jesus reveals the bigger picture. John's Gospel is all about revelation. It's the Word becoming flesh, the blind gaining sight, It promises the Spirit of Truth who will teach us everything and remind us of all that Jesus said and did. Friendship with Jesus reveals and keeps revealing what God wants for the world. It's a light to guide us in the darkness, helping us to find our way. Schneckenberg says that friendship with Jesus gives us the strength of the Holy Spirit to overcome difficulties that make their way into our everyday life. It's a deep and profound friendship that involves compassion, care, communication, and commitment when we need it most. A light to guide us. Third, and finally, to be a friend of Jesus means to keep His commandments and to love as He loved. In John's Gospel, the word commandment doesn't refer back to the law of Moses, but instead to what God is asking of Jesus right now, or what Jesus is asking of His followers. At the Last Supper, it's summed up in the concise statement, love one another. This is what I command. But that request has its origin in Jesus' own experience. The order of things is laid out for us clearly. God loves Jesus. Jesus loves us. And we are to abide in that love and to love in return. Love is the common denominator holding it all together. And Jesus asks us to simply live our lives in it. It's worth mentioning that The friendship with which Jesus speaks is not a sentimental thing. It's everything. What Jesus is asking is all of our lives. It bids us, in the words of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, to come and die. To die to ourselves. To open up to the love that that God has to flow through, through us.
It's a willingness or an invitation to let go of our egos and our selfish ambitions so that we might live for God and with God and in love. The love that God offers in Christ challenges and corrects. It heals and transforms. It disrupts the comfortable and confronts the powerful. And as a result, it's not very popular to love like Jesus loved. It's worth noting that in the very next text, after the section that we've been considering tonight, the word love gives way to hate. Jesus points out that the world doesn't understand or accept friendship like his. It calls to mind the Greek proverb that states, the one who has no enemies has no friends. They're going to hate you, Jesus said. They're going to persecute you because of your association with me. The world doesn't get it. The world doesn't understand love that is committed to things like forgiveness, inclusivity, and turning the other cheek. Discipleship, Jesus is saying, can be a lonely road. But thank goodness we have each other. And thank goodness we have a friend like Jesus. Amen.